Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Kodakery. I'm Josh. And I'm Megan. This week, we sat down with Javier Tellez, the artist responsible for the creation of Nosferatu, The Undead, a commissioned work for the Memorial Art Gallery, also known as The Mag. Also joining us is Jonathan Binstock, the Mary W. and Donald R. Clark Director of The Mag, and John Hanhart, Consulting Senior Curator of Media Arts for The Mag. Nosferatu, The Undead, is part of a series called Reflections on Place, that place being Rochester, New York. Javier is an artist who incorporates people living with mental illness into his work, and he did the same with this piece. Inspired by the 1922 film Nosferatu, Javier and a local cast created a film that incorporates celluloid, the theater, and mental illness into an incredible body of work. Listen in to hear Javier's journey to make this film and how it lives within the mag. So, let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with them. Hey everybody, welcome to the Kodakery. Today, Megan and I are out of the studio and in the theater. In a theater built in a gallery at the Memorial Art Gallery here in Rochester, New York. And on the show with us is filmmaker and artist Javier Tellez, Jonathan Handhart, and Jonathan Benstock. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Pleasure to be here. We had come in and, and talked with two of you, friends of the Kodakery, Jonathan and John, about Reflections on a Place, which is the new series that you've begun. And Javier's piece is the first of this piece to debut here at the gallery. And so we started a conversation a while ago, Kodakery listeners may remember, but we kind of wanted to refresh everybody. The piece that was debuted on Saturday, so just two days ago, is Nosferatu, The Undead, uh, a film that Javier has created for here in the mag. And how, how did Reflections on a Place start? And, and where did it begin for the Memorial Art Gallery? Well, I'll speak to that. This is Jonathan. I'm the director of the MAG. Reflections on Place really came from John Hanhart, um, and it came out of conversations that I had with John, our curator, our consulting senior curator of media arts, over a period of a few months. We had all sorts of great ideas, very interesting suggestions and thoughts for how we could work together and what we could do. And then John said... I'm really interested in Rochester. I was born and raised in Brighton, educated at the University of Rochester. Why don't we, why don't I uh, select artists uh, who we can commission to respond to this place? Because there's so much richness here. There's, and John, you had specific thoughts about what artists might explore, I think, archives and so forth. Yeah, I mean, the idea of place is really signally important to our art, artists' art making. I mean, almost all artwork relates to uh, transcribing, understanding, being inspired by a place. And uh, picking and thinking about Rochester uh, is, it, it's such a sort of emblematic of the American experience that also speaks to the world at large. I mean, here's a city that where through Kodak, the uh, uh, photography and film became a medium that reached out to the world. It's something that's accessible to everyone. Uh, there were key figures like James Sibley Watson, who was an editor of The Dial, one of the great modernist journals, who was an early avant-garde filmmaker here in Rochester. And, um, and you had great figures in the uh, civil rights movement, Frederick Douglass, women's liberation, Susan B. Anthony. I mean, this is a place rich, rich with the... Uh, the history uh, and that makes this uh, 
place very special. And uh, I felt that picking uh, artists who could respond and be inspired by and this is not about making a, a piece about Rochester. It's about making something that's inspired by Rochester and speaks to the world at large. Javier Tellez's project really comes out of Rochester, but it can be shown anywhere in the world because it speaks to the idea of cinema. It speaks to the idea of uh, people living with mental illness. It speaks to the, the idea of Kodak at the factory of the moving image. And it draws from the George Eastman Museum, one of the great film archives. And what's been so remarkable about Javier's project is how he dug deep into this place. And he followed a path to uh, the project, the work that he made here. You have to remember this is a commission. This is an original artwork. And the um, investment that Jonathan and Mag have made to this have realized a true masterpiece. That's where I'm going to end my comments right at this moment <laughs> because it's a masterpiece. And I'm so excited because we've just seen the work fully realized and installed here in the spectacular gallery. Thank you, John, for your kind words. <laughs> I'll add something about how successful it is. I want to talk about the first response from outside of Rochester, if you don't mind, Javier. John said it's a masterpiece. So it is. There is a painter named Luke Toymans, who is a beautiful painter, an influential painter, very important painter, who, who works, whose, whose paintings are inspired by photography and film. And there's a real uh, complex uh, dialogue there with the history of reproduced imagery that happens in his paintings. Anyway, Toymans knows Javier's work. Uh, Toymans has uh, curated an exhibition that's currently on view in Antwerp at a contemporary art museum in Antwerp. It's a show about the Baroque. So it's sort of transits historical. There's a Caravaggio painting. There's a Zurbaran painting. It deals with the history of the Baroque and then carries it up through modern and contemporary times. So Toymans contacted Javier to say the show is traveling to the uh, Fondazione Prada, the Prada Foundation in Milan, Italy, a building designed by Rem Koolhaas, very important institution um, in the global, the international conversation on art and especially contemporary art at the very highest level. So he said, Javier, would you show this foundation in Milan? Javier said, well, don't show an old work. Let's let's show a new work. Toyman said, send me a link to that. Toyman's wrote back, this is the best work you've ever made. And this is the work we want to show in Milan at the Prada Foundation. So we hadn't even opened the piece here in Rochester, and it is already set to have an international audience. And again, at the very highest level, um, in terms of this global conversation, to John's point, the piece could not have been made anywhere else in the world. It was filmed inside the Dryden Theater. It was filmed inside the Kodak Factory. It is about the history of cinema and the history of film and the fabrication of celluloid. But it can be shown anywhere. That's very exciting. And congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. It really is. Uh, and uh, I, I would add, uh, you know, even the, most of my work is specific in the sense that I work uh, with particular populations locally in places where I visit which is basically uh, people living with mental illness. The 
a special project of Reflections in a Place and the invitation of John Angard gave me actually a time that usually I don't have to develop a project with people. So I was here coming for over a, more than a year, you know. And I, 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 made, I designed a series of workshops uh, with people living with mental illness at Creative Wellness that lasts over eight months, which is basically ideal. So we, we create a very strong ties and, 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 and understanding to actually make this project happen and to make it a, as a complex piece, you know. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. now that John has um, explained to us how he came to Reflections on a Place, now he comes to you, Javier, and what explanation did you get, you know, um, on the premise of what you are to be doing? How much freedom did you have? Where did it start? I mean, it starts as a concept and, you, and then you have the freedom well, to do whatever you want. I mean, that's not the first time I work with John, and I know of an old model in terms of uh, curators. As a curator, he's a Mr. Flexible, you know, which is something that's not very often uh, seen in these days, you know. But that he's always present at the same time. He's always, he always cares, and he's always there to give information, and he's always there to discuss ideas. He's, he's always there for the dialogue. And at the same time, he's always also local. I mean, he's local, and, and he's also a stranger. To Rochester, so that's a kind of an ideal uh, situation. I mean, he's local because he was born here, and he has what's called family ties, and you know ties that belong to memory and history of the place. But at the same time, he's a stranger because he did not live here for many, many years. So in a, in a way, he's kind of the ideal kind of guide to understand a place because you you want to be specific, but also you don't want to fake that you're specific, you are, fo- you are foreign, you are out, you know, and you come in and you, you, you have to always acknowledge that you are not belong to the, you don't belong to the place, but at the same time you're supposed to understand the place from different point of view. And I think that's what John wanted to have in the project, this particular point of view that's in an in-between zone. Yeah, that's well said. And, I, and uh, thank you, Javier, but the, the idea of the curator as somebody who is the artist something that's been central to the way I've approached. I'm bringing the museum uh, and its resources behind the artist. Deep understanding and conversation with the artist so that the artist is enabled to create his or her work. And working with Javier has been, you know, fantastic. I mean, I've written about his work and I've included his work in exhibitions and so forth, but here we've created a whole work. And that really... um, you know, a lot can be said about our process and how we've worked together and so forth, but I have to include in this the institution that has enabled it, you know, and brought its resources to bear on it. And J- Jonathan, I, you know, not to you. I mean, this is, um, you know, this is the instrument. This is the platform. This is where it's going to go out into the world. And now the Memorial Art Gallery is a significant player in the international art world. Well, thank you, John. Um, you know, I was a curator one, and so I know, at least I think I have an idea what a curator needs, and you are a curator and one of the greats. I don't know if our audience knows who John Hanhard give, is. Give him a little bit of the highlights. Give him a flavor. John Hanhard is <laughs> the pioneering curator in the field of the art of the moving image. He established media art departments and programs at the Walker uh, Art in- Art Center, Art Institute, Art Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, uh, the Whitney 
Museum of American Art, where he worked for 20 years, the Guggenheim Museum, where he worked for 10, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, where he worked for 10 years. I mean, he's renowned as an expert in the films of Andy Warhol and the work of Bill Viola, uh, Namjoon Pike. It, it, It goes on and on. And he's basically doing for the mag what he has what he did for these other institutions, which is a tremendous gift to this institution and to this city. And I think to the art world more generally, <laughs> look at what we've created. So that's the way museums work. There's a guy at the top, the executive, who is, you know, administrating. That's me. My job is to empower my staff and my team, in this case, John Hanhart. And John Hanhart's job is to enable in this case, an artist, to make a new work of art. And it's, look, sometimes it works like a dream, and, and that's what we're here to tout and, you know, pat ourselves on the back for doing us. It's worked like a dream, and the artwork is, we couldn't be more thrilled. An institution takes a risk in directing significant resources, whether financial or human or what have you, to a project. We, we trust him John trusts the artist, and you know what? We're thrilled. I'd like to turn this uh, over to uh, Javier because it's been very interesting, Javier, watching people see and respond to this work. There are uh, textures to it. I mean, there are the voices of these individuals that speak so eloquently to their lives and how they're seen and how they see the world. And it's all wrapped through this narrative of Murnau's Nosferatu and into the inner factory, thanks, Josh, of the Kodak plant. I mean, and, and people come out of this, come out of this after seeing Nosferatu with a silent piano accompaniment and hearing these voices of these people, you know, with mental illness and... They're all touched. Everybody has that experience, that sense of vulnerability of, as humans. And isn't that what art empowers, you know, an understanding of who we are? And that really comes across in this. People have been, you know, crying. People have been coming out just exhilarated uh, and inspired by the piece. And that's uh, an extraordinary accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about the piece a little bit um, so that for people that haven't been here to see it, can you explain, Javier, it's a complex um, puzzle that you've put together with all different pieces that mean very significant things to the overall project. But can you give, a, give an idea to our listeners of what, what this project is really about? Yes. Uh, it's a film installation called Nosferatu the Undead. It is made uh, with 10 individuals that live with mental illness in Rochester. The piece was inspired by Nosferatu, uh, the Symphony of Congo by F.W. Murnau, which is a film from 1922, a silent film, and one of the classics of expressionistic film, and one of the classics, of course, of uh, best films of all times. Uh, so basically, I mean, the film, you know, we three different things. In one, in one hand, mental illness, in the other hand, the history of film, particularly, you know, the film Nosferatu, and the third element, of course, is film itself as a material, which is represented both by the Kodak, Eastman Kodak factory, 
and the Dryden Theater. So we have actually the whole process of film, from the conception of the material to the display and exhibition of film as 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 an actual form. You know, so there there the film op- investigates several things. I mean, normalcy and pathology. What is considered to be mentally ill, or what is considered to be normalcy, and as well as the own the the condition of film itself as a material, the materiality of film, light and darkness. So that's basically kind of the, the top of the film, these two elements, light and darkness. And the idea is actually to bring to the light different concepts related to mental illness and society, how society perceives the mentally ill, how society stigmatizes the mentally ill, and try to challenge these notions using film and history of film as a metaphor. And, and as you, um, you work with the cast, you build out, um, you, you mentioned the workshops that you build and things like that. Um, how, how, talk a little bit about that process. Like, how do you build trust with them? Do they help you construct the narrative as you go through? Like, tell, talk a little bit about your working relationship with the cast. Yeah, it is, it is a work in collaboration. I mean, it's a sort of like a feedback. I mean, I basically how it, how it operates is I, I approach an institution, sometimes a psychiatric hospital, sometimes an institution that is uh, independent of the Department of Mental Health. Uh, this was the case here in Rochester. It was creative wellness. So I make an open call to people living with mental illness to try to do a film together as a project. So I basically don't do any kind of casting. I just basically take whoever is diagnosed with mental illness that want to be part of my project. And then the project starts always with with some, some kind of conversation piece, you know. In this case, the conversation piece was basically, I mean, the first one was Kodak. The idea was to make a, a film at the, at the Kodak factory, you know. So that's how we started. And we start like, researching the history of Kodak. We start also sit, uh, discussing about photography, about colorama, about many things that actually you don't see in the film, but they were part of the workshops that I conducted with, 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 the, with my collaborators. At some point, don't ask me how, a vampire <laughs> came to, to our heads. So we start like, actually developing the idea of seeing monster films. I mean, the Hammer, the classic Hammer films, and so on. And of course, we went to the Matrix of all, which is Nosferatu, and then we stayed there. And then they were start developing the idea of shadow and light, and, and that's how actually we connect. Because my job is actually to connect things that are not connected. I think that's the job of most of the artists, is to actually try to create connections between scenes and try to problematize these connections. I, I, I love as a motto what Paul Clay say once, is the, the, the function of an artist is to make visible. Yeah, and it's actually the the way that you constructed the piece. It's almost in a way like three films intercut together. You've got this documentary piece about how film is made, shot on black and white film in the Kodak factory. You have this really moving personal account from each of the actors speaking about their experiences, and then Nosferatu the film. And did did you sit and watch Nosferatu? with the cast and kind of talk through it? Many, many times. I mean, not only Nosferatu, we also watch films that were, you know, that, that contextualize Nosferatu as uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and so on, and also more recent vampire films. But yeah, that's, that was basically the, the core of, our, of the collaboration, actually to see again and again Nosferatu and, and to start to think about mental illness using Nosferatu as excuse. It's interesting too that you use excerpts from the film. It's not the entire Nosferatu. Mm. And how did that take shape? I mean, the particular 
trajectory that the film takes and how it draws you through the 35 minutes of your film, but uh, and it also brings all these attachments to it, all these responses. Yeah, I was very curious about that as well, like how you picked those excer- ex- excerpts from the film and, and kind of what led you in those places. Well, we we wanted to we wanted to appropriate. It's a sort of, sort of form of cannibalism, you know. We we wanted to eat up uh, the film itself, you know. And then to do that, we had to cut it. So in in order to cut it, we actually only kept what was uh, what was able to nourish also. What was able to nourish the project. So that is the segments that we kept. I mean, they, we took out entire characters out of the film. I mean, the husband. Of this lady, I don't even remember his name, Jonathan Hacker. <laughs> He's completely out of the film. So, I mean, more or less, I mean, you see him a few times. But, you know, we kept the essential thing, which is the relationship between the vampire and the victim. The victim and the victimizer, and how they actually swap at the end of the film. And how did the cast members, how did they react to the film once they saw it? I mean, I, I I wish you could answer that question instead of me. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, ha- I would have a bias. I would have a bias. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they, they all love it, you know. Yeah. They, they all love it. I mean, they, 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 and the it really expresses was, something, I'm yes. sure, that yes, they Yes, I think they, they express. Time. I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's not also about the individuals. It's a collective. I mean, what it, it, what is created there, and that's, that's what I do, uh, is to keep a balance because, you know, no one could just, you know, overwhelm the other. So it had to be, all these elements had to work in tandem. And I have, I mean, of course I have this amazing, uh, you know, com- musician, composer, Philip Carley, to put everything together with music, you know. And I think it's a very important element on the film, the, the, the piano music, which is characteristic of, of early silent films. And he is one of the, you know, the best exponents of this, of this genre in the, in the, in the planet. Just to speak a little bit more to how the actors, the collaborators felt about the project. You know, I, I, I'm an outsider in some ways to this project. I wasn't a part of the workshops, of the making. I mean, um, but I definitely spoke with some of them and many of them to a person. They, they talked about not only how they love the finished work of art, but how what a great experience it was uh, to be a part of this, um, to make something, to make something that is going to be preserved for as far into the future as we can preserve it, uh, to make something that's going to be shown around the world. Um, they like the way they look. They like the way they sound. They're very proud of the work. These are not actors per se. They may be. Some of them, I don't know. They, they may or may not be artists, um, they're interested in the creative project, the creative endeavor. This is something they wanted to be a part of, and they are bringing their friends, they're bringing their families, um, and uh, and they're thrilled. I mean, I, I haven't spoken to a person yet who hasn't been impacted in some way, in some powerful way, by the project. And I think... It has to do also with the subject, mental illness. We want to think of it as something that may not pertain to all of our lives, but it pertains to all of our lives. And that's one of the great takeaways from this project. 
I left seeing it. Um, it has changed the way I see the thing, uh, the subject. And um, something beautiful was said the other day by W.J.T. Mitchell, a very important scholar and public intellectual here at the MAG in conversation with Javier. He said, this is therapy for the healthy. You know, and I, I just, just like the, the work of art itself, spinning the subject around, spinning the ideas around, reversing, flipping, upside down, inversing. It's not what you think it is. Mental illness is not what you think it is. You've done multiple projects working with mental illness, working with a, a non-traditional cast, and what is it about it for you as an artist that keeps pulling you back for inspiration? I mean, any artist that returns to a subject over and over again, there's something here that you can't let go of yet. What is that thing? I mean, probably if I will know, then I will stop it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the truth is, I mean, there's, a, of course, a personal connection, which I have many times talked about. I mean, the fact that I was son of two psychiatrists. So since a very, I mean, it's part of my life experience. Since I was very young, since I was a kid, I was visiting my father at the hospital. So also my, hosp my father had a, a consultation, private consultation at home. So we were always, you know, in connection, you know, with, with people living with mental illness. There was never kind of a wall between what we consider normal, what we consider pathological. So I think, it, as a matter of fact, my brother is a psychiatrist. So we definitely grew up in a, in a house where mental illness was a familiar scene and not an uncanny scene. Just to go back to the German roots of the uncanny, the unheimlich. So I think that made me say, why not? I mean, why there's something that is always condemned to darkness? What is something in society that people don't want to face? It's called madness. You call it madness. You call you know you call it you know bedlam. You call it you know. But it's something definitely that you know that that have to do with every one of us. I mean, either we're all mentally ill, or we're all normal. But you know, in a way, you know, this dichotomy between one or the other is a construction. It's a fake construction. Because, you know, a border is not something, it's not only something where something ends. A border is something where something, something begins. So, I mean, I was always intrigued by this, and I wanted to explore it in my work as an artist. One thing in the way that, uh, well, it surprised me when I watched the film, was how you have these trappings of the macabre. You have black and white, you've got vampires, and yet the subject matter wasn't handled in any way in a voyeuristic way or an exploitative way. If anything, it was one of the most delicate and kind of sensitive handlings of mental illness I've seen in years. And I've, I found that really fascinating that you, you, you used the way that people view it to almost like construct the, the narrative of the film, but the film itself is not about that at all. At least that's how, what was my interpretation of it. And I thought that was a really interesting and kind of fascinating way to, to build it out and, and, and create this piece. Um, I think that's a great point, Josh. Uh, the vampire. You know, why do we juxtapose a vampire and mental illness? And he, in other words, he, he, he our expectations inside out. Um, and, and, and we see the vampire in an entirely different way. We're not scared by the vampire. We sort of are, but we're also moved by the vampire. And, and we're sympathetic to the vampire. And we're sad for the vampire. And, you know... All, it's a much more complicated uh, relationship that one does not expect from uh, the viewing of a vampire story. Yeah, yeah. I would think that you know it's just really definitely a very important point, and I think it is that 
we have to understand that metaphors are not stable things. So you can always use a metaphor in different ways, and you can always exploit in different ways. So I could take something that is actually coming from a very negative, you know, realm, like something that belongs to the stigma of the way that people perceive the mentally ill as monsters, let's say. And I can actually use that as a tool to challenge that notion. And, and in, a, in a way, I mean, I'm interested in, in things that are not close. I'm interested in things that are more kind of in transition. So, you know, whether they are alleg allegories or whether symbols, you know, things that are more open to interpretation and not fixed. That's why I work with other people. I mean, that's why I work with other people in my work. Otherwise, I will do all my work and it will be all about my memories of childhood and my subjectivity. I, I mean, I want to share my experience with others and make this experience to touch other people who are the spectators that come to MAC or come to Milano or come mm -hmm. anywhere else. Yeah, it's like you're doing t two things. One is you're letting the, the people you work with uh, express something for themselves. And then you're also exposing a group of people to understand their side of it. And I, th I think it's really fun. And in such an artistic way, too. Um, mm. It's really amazing. Yeah, I always love bridges, tunnels. I mean, any kind of sort of way of uh, communication, especially mm -hmm. where there was not one before, you know. Yeah, it's just such a unique way of mm. doing it, your personal touch. I think film itself is a sort of like, you know, it's, it's that itself as a form. I mean, I think it's, it's something that, that for me is also very important. It's not only what I said, because I could write an essay or I could do a poem. No, it's, it's about making a film. So the, when, you, when you make a film, you are actually, you know, confronted to a particular craft. And this craft has a history. That's one of the reasons why I'm very, very pleased that, you know, thanks, Josh, that I got access actually to work actually at the heart of the beast, which is the Kodak factory. And to actually think of things like, I mean, what you're talking about reversal, and you say the Nosferatu, I mean, at the beginning of Nosferatu, there's a use of negative mm -hmm. in the film. In 1922, mm -hmm. he's showing negative projecting negative. So I, I was really interested in that because it's the relationship between vampire and, and film itself. You know? Let's talk about the installation itself. Like we're sitting in it now doing this interview and it's essentially a theater. You built a theater inside the Memorial Art Gallery's Grand Gallery. It's a completely self-contained standing room. There's a big screen, beautiful floor. There's theater seats installed. Um, why were the trappings of cinema so important for the display of this exhibition? Well, because, the, I mean, the, the, the film itself, it's a film about film, in, in a way, and it's also a film about cinema, film theater, which is Dryden. So I wanted to actually be La Mise en Abim. I wanted to have, you know, my collaborators making a film and also being watching, watching the film inside the film and also wanted the spectators to watch the film in a similar way, in a similar setting, so that in a way they kind of they kind of project themselves in the in the screen. They kind of have an empathy that you were talking about before, and to have this empathy, you need to actually build an apparatus. I mean, it's it's not just a film; it's installation as well. And I have you know the the the, uh, the good luck to work with an amazing team of people here at Mac to make this dream possible, and to actually build a small movie theater inside the museum. I should also add that the uh, film itself, the work, uh, Nosferatu, The Undead, uh, runs continuously as a loop. I mean, it's, the film is constructed that way, it's sort of consuming itself, and that 
when you enter, you uh, can come into the middle. You can then watch, watch it through. I mean, it, it's, a, and it's rear screen projected. So there's just a seamless uh, surface. And uh, so it has an enormous presence, but it's an ongoing temporal presence of continuity and repetition. It's, uh, it's sculptural. When the screen, when, when, the, when the image is not projected from inside the room, there's nothing compromising the image. You can't stand in front of the light beam and cast your shadow on the screen. It is something. And it is, regardless of what you do or where you walk, or it, it will remain, it will maintain its integrity. And this room, we have uh, spared no expense. We, there's sound baffle everywhere. Um, we have wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. We put in a drop ceiling. Um, we have 5.1 surround sound. We have a beautiful mix. Uh, the sound editor, the cinematographer, everything has really been brought to bear on this project. So this is an experience that you can't have anywhere else. Um, and it's a, it's, it's, you have to you have to be here. In other words, to experiencing it, to experience it. And looking out on a computer screen, you'll get some information. If you were watch it projected in a theater, you know, with a beginning and an ending, you'd get some information. You wouldn't have the same experience as um, walking into a space where the work is already existing, and when you leave it, it keeps existing. When, when you're constructing it, knowing that it's going to be this experience where it's constantly on, does that play into how you edit it, how you narrate it? Yes, or? of course, yes, yes. I mean, it's basically, you know, the way that it is, it's almost like, a, I mean, it's, since it's a film inside a film, the point of uh, the point of loop, like a Moebius uh, um, is actually the, the uh, winding of the film, you know, the in the, in the how do you call that? The, yeah. yeah, there's a point where... Yeah. The projectionist rewinds the film, yeah. and so it's is that the beginning or is that the end? And it you plays know? again. So it's basically kind of the, you know he inserts the film again in the projection. So you don't know if what is he's inserting is actually the film that we're gonna watch, which is more now, or it's actually the film that we are watching. So I mean, this is kind of a dual situation, and also it's it also it have something to do also with the way that the sound is with in you know in terms of the voiceovers as thoughts. I mean, as when you were watching a film, you always have thoughts. It's it's kind of monologues. Right. So how, go in tandem. how long ago did you decide it would be an installation like this? This is something that you must have worked long, with, long, John. Yes, okay. long, long ago. Yes, yeah. yes, long ago. So it was From the beginning, the I would say yeah, very yeah, yeah. yeah. Outside of the theater is a film casket, uh, which, mm. for those of you that don't know, is in the film factory. It's where the film lives until it's ready to be moved somewhere else or used. Mm. Um so why did you choose to include well, that? Well, I mean, the, the first thing, I mean, the, the first thing that when you jump, I think it was in my house, in my studio, you know, you came and you say, well, I'm, I have this project that's going to be in, in Rochester, that's going to fetch in a place. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was Kodak, I mean, because it's basically one of the only few things I knew about Rochester, I mean. I mean, apart from Cummins, the dial, etc. But, you know, this was the main scene. I mean, something that belongs to my childhood and having Kodak cameras since I was a kid and, you know, this 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 so sin. So I mean, the first thing I wanted to do was to visit the factory, you know, by all means, and to see what whether it was possible to walk with you guys and you know these things. 
But the second surprise is when I saw the, the film caskets, but it's something I never seen in my life, you know. So I saw definitely well, the first time I saw you know this 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 is going to be in, f- in the film one way or the other and maybe that's the, the maybe it was the trigger the trigger to bring Nosferatu right. into right. town you know right. that, I mean, that film the casket. word casket helps get you going in the right direction. Yes. <laughs> um. well, of course, I mean you're fascinated by you know by the by the anthropomorphic size you know where was the size of a, almost the size of a person a small person you know. So, so the fact that it's completely enclosed and protected, you know, in, uh, for, protected from light, you know. So I think this this was so important in the in the film itself that I decided to also include it in the installation, you know, because so people will be so you know that so people get a clear idea of what this object is, you know. And and as the director, I would like to thank the Kodak Eastman Kodak Company for donating to the permanent collection of the Memorial Art Gallery an authentic vintage film casket which will now live with this installation and this film (laughs) 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 the undead forever we we were thrilled to be able to support this project and uh and to work with you on shooting it now you you came to the film factory as you mentioned and you shot part of it on film why was it important for you to shoot this at least portions of this because it's a hybrid piece on 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 film, cellular. Yeah, at some point I went to do everything on film, as I had done most of the times, you know. But I, lately on, I kind of, you know, give up a little bit on on this idea because, you know, I think it's 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 part of the, it's part of the actual zeitgeist of today, you know. But I think it's it's important to actually always to have film and to to actually kind of pair, you know, the film with other other medias, you know. But especially in a piece that had to do with film, so I, I was, you know, for me it was a kind of clear dogma that I will not film be, a film being made in video because that kind of paradox was not part of my piece. You know? So I wanted to film the paradox was that I was making f- making a film of filming a real film of the making of the film with lights on. So in a way, that was the, the paradox that was interesting to me, the universal, that I was filming processes that usually happen in darkness and I was filming in, in light, in white light, as you call it. Yeah. Right, right, that's right, yep. As you mentioned earlier that this is a commission. Why is it important in the world we live in today? Media is being made everywhere. People are making things constantly. Um, why is it important for institutions like the Memorial Art Gallery to continue to commission new artwork? That's a really good question. I'd love to hear John's thoughts on this. Well, I mean, really, the uh, high point for a curator is the idea of actually realizing an artwork by an artist. I mean, this is what you really is, is a special situation and really embodies the ideal, you know, of of creating an artist creating a work. And um, I think it's very important that. The whole history of video as an art form and of independent film really was driven by uh, independent spaces, alternative spaces in the United States, and also museums making it possible for an artist to create a new work. This enters um, contemporary thinking, uh, the live presence of the artist into the museum, and gives an understanding of the moving image, which is vital to the future of the museum, because we are in a media culture, and this is, you know, central to how we're going to, uh, you know, continue to be relevant and, and enabling uh, institutions. I'll add a little something about what it means to be a museum and what it means to collect 
artworks and to steward those artworks for future generations. Um, you know, you go to movie theater, you go to the YouTube, or, you know, there are many places, as you say, to see media artworks, works, uh, works with moving images, films, s- snippets, trailers, I mean, homemade, you know, whatever, Hollywood, so forth and so on. A museum is a special place. A museum um, stands for, uh, I think, stands, stands, literally stands for transcendence in a sense. It, it is something that is meant to withstand the passing of time, the, the change in generations, the evolution of a culture and a society. At the Memorial Art Gallery, we have works of art spanning 5,000 years. We go back to ancient Egypt, and we go to yesterday. And when we make a decision to show something or to help an artist create something, we are endeavoring to participate in a conversation that is different from the conversation that happens in a movie theater or that happens at the department store or the retail store or on YouTube or on Netflix or what have you. We, uh, Javier's conversation involves uh, 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 an exploration of the past and, uh, and it suggests a, a, a vision of the future. And um, we are trying to expand that conversation. We are trying to push that conversation. We are trying to add to the sum total of what should I say, the experience, uh, the kind of philosophical understanding of our place in the world. And and that's what a museum, is, I think, is meant to do. And so uh, that's why we do this. We think uh, and we hope that if we choose the right curator and we choose the right artist, that we will have the ability as an institution to add to the sum total of our understanding of whatever it is we seek to understand. And if we're not doing that, then we should, you know, we do that through exhibitions. We have a Monet exhibition coming up. We're working on an exhibition of Josephine Toad. I mean, there's all these great subjects we're working on. We're always striving to add to the sum total. But boy, if you can um, commission someone and, and, and bring something into existence that does that. Um, it's, it's yeah. a special thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's this also. I mean, there's also a, a particular cultural production that would not exist today without the support of museums and institutions like like this. You know, because I mean, in the way that you know, I I believe. I think you know, we're all believers that you know the the, the moving image is the main kind of genre of the 20th and 21st century. You know, and you think that you know the only way that people have actually access. To film is mostly to the system of you know distribution, the commercial distribution of you know big big uh, big production companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which are, of course not means that I can even reach or artists like me. So therefore, I mean the important roles of institutions and projects like the ones that you both you know taking taking now of uh, reflections on a place to actually you know produce works, produce new works. Uh, I have a question to you: How many objects do you think uh, in the museum? Um, we have about 12,000 objects in the collection. I would say out of these 12,000 objects, I don't know if there will be anyone beyond mine that deals with mental illness. 
not today, especially mental illness today. And I think this is what is important to our institution to actually produce work because this work is actually an reflection on contemporary issues that otherwise, you know, contemporary and local issues. And I think that's the the project that we are discussing today about, Isabel. Excellent. And and I I kind of wondered as, and I asked this to all three of you, but we'll start with Javier. Um, If you had one thing that you hoped that the audience took away with them after they viewed it, what would that one thing be? Well, I think they, they should, they should think, they should challenge, the way the these thoughts that they have about mental illness that's that's what i what i hope and this is not only what every every one of my collaborators collaborators was hoping with this project it's actually to make people question i mean the 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 you know the the, the purpose of any artist is to actually change reality i was just going to say that's perfect i mean uh, that really is is a bold challenge and an ambitious one um I, I, the only thing I would add is just, again, the love of the cinema and that um, people, you know, it, it brings that as a thought process into the present that one can draw from that history to think about oneself today. And I think that's a very important thing. I'm going to add one last thing on that, too. I mean, one can read a book about mental illness and read a book that helps one understand what you're trying to convey about mental illness. But the way it's going to happen here is through an aesthetic experience. You're going to come together in a place that exists within a community. You're going to be with other people. You're going to have an experience that is unique, that cannot be had anywhere else. And you're going to come to this understanding through the visual, through the auditory, um, and, and, and through um, the creative impulse. I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but the way one learns in a museum is through um, a, a, the experience of an authentic um, aesthetic uh, work. And, and that's different from everything else that you can experience. It's, it's different from every other way you can learn. Yeah, I was loving the way you described what a museum can do. Loved listening to it. And I think you, Jonathan, who had the, you know, the foresight to bring John Hanhart to into this museum. And then John, you had the idea, the concept, and then to have thought of Javier. It's just this, this great, uh, um, it's not a coincidence. It's a, I don't know what the word, it's just this great succession of events that happened that led us to this place. And, um. I'm very grateful that it that it happened. Me as well, and I'm very proud that this work was made here in this institution that's meant a lot to me. Like, I remember coming to this museum when I was in fourth grade, and uh, to have this work projected out to the world as this is a work that was made in Rochester, about Rochester, by you you gentlemen. I, when I left, like, I just I felt very strong in that way, and I, I really appreciate that we were able to kind of see some of the behind-the-scenes in this incredible conversation that we talked with you guys about today. So thank you very much for joining us. And one last thing I want to add, I'm very happy that I got to film inside the Kodak factory. Mm, yes. <laughs> it, it, was, it was amazing. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks, thank guys. You. Thanks thank so you. much. It is a great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention.